0: You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. I wanted to talk about a, a massive subject today. There's 20 minutes before lunch though. <laughs> and I, <clears throat> and even even with like a <laughs> A four week series we would scratch the surface, but i I wanted to just um, begin to introduce the um, the idea of what it what it looks like to to suffer in this life as as a believer and I think that we all know this, but sometimes it's just good to be reminded that in the middle of our celebration, while we're partying in the presence of God. In this room, there are hurting people who can barely sing, and sprinkled throughout our gathering of joy, these joyful songs and joy-filled hearts, there are people processing sorrow, walking through a trial for which only the grace of God is good enough to carry them through. When we are singing about his stripes, there are bereaved family members in this room who didn't see the, the healing that they so authentically, vehemently asked and prayed for. And as we're extolling God, as we're praising Him for His ransoming love, there are people in this room who in this moment feel robbed. We are a people praising for mm-hmm. desires fulfilled while there are still people around us who are waiting for that breakthrough. Does that make sense? Is that too heavy to jump into? Like, just to, just to realize that there is a whole uh, multitude of experiences going on in this very moment, and the love of Christ is enough for all of them. We know that uh, suffering and pain and evil uh, touch us, at times in our lives. And philosophers and theologians, deep thinkers all throughout history have tried to make some sort of sense out of this problem of suffering. And there are just countless uh, books that you can go to you know, dealing with the, the, the problem of suffering. And we can even go to, to scripture and we'll find even more mystery, like as we're just going through the Bible, because no two stories are the same. From, you go from Joseph to Job to Jesus, and you see in, in, in one book both martyrdom and miracles. we can't begin to pretend to have all the watertight answers to these questions, but one thing that I've learned for sure in this life is that when I don't have the answer, the answer still has me. And the church, we've for a long time, prided ourselves in having all the right answers, but God has raised up a generation that is full of unanswerable questions. I believe that some of the mystery in this life actually saves us from becoming like the know-it-alls who killed Jesus. And even though we can't always make sense of all the things that uh, don't turn out the way we expected or the things that go wrong, we also know without a doubt that there is a perpetual party going on in heaven celebrating the victory of Christ, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It, It is ultimate and it is a secured victory. And even though we... We deal with heartache and pain as a community. I know that you guys are in this with me. We will live, not die, we will live on the hill where we are fighting and believing for miracles and breakthrough and manifestations of God's power. Just like August was talking about today, we are believing for healing and authority over cancer. And that goes for anyone in this room that is suffering from Uh, Any diagnosis the doctor may have pronounced over you, as August also said, his blood speaks a better word than any diagnosis from any doctor. And as Bill Johnson once said, um, when things don't make sense, we, we don't want to make a theology from failure. We serve a God who loves to Heal, He loves to heal. So um, Jesus wanted to prep his best friends for life uh, after he would be physically taken away from them. Obviously, they wouldn't be left orphans, but they'd be given the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of Christ would be dwelling in their hearts. But those words of Jesus before his final departure are very important. It's like his last moments of face-to-face for for quite a while, right? And one of the things he's telling the disciples near uh, near the end, before his crucifixion, he's saying, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. This is in John 16, by the way, 1633. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. Exclamation point. I love that. Exclamation point. Be not afraid. Take heart. Because I have overcome the world. And then Jesus, he also says things like, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Oh, oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) He he says things like, "Hey, uh, they're going to persecute you and put you to death." <laughs> they're like, "Oh, wonderful!" <laughs> and I don't know if you were wondering what you were called to, sweet dear flock, but it is to die daily and die well. And it, Jesus. You know, he's, he says this most beautiful thing, like, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And of course, we see that in the life of Jesus himself. And I, I started to think that that greater love wasn't just a statement. Greater love has no one than this. Greater love has no one than this. It's not just that he's stating that that person knows how to love well. He's stating that that person lives a life where he is experiencing the greatest love that we are perpetually, as we're laying down our lives for one another, we are walking in the joy of the greatest love. And it almost seems as if God is closer in those moments. We know he's, he's not, he's always with us. But our, our experience of his closeness, uh, the, the tenderness, the sensitivity to his, the, the tangibleness of his Closeness seems more potent in those times of suffering, right? It's like Psalm 34 actually says, you know, he is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Or like Paul, when he starts almost saying that he longs for the fellowship of the suffering of Christ, to know Christ in that way and the fellowship of his sufferings. Then also he gets to taste, he gets to experience the power of resurrection. <laughs> he's experiencing the fullest kind of life as he's partnering with Christ in these low moments. It's like Psalm 23 is, is really real, that when we are in the valley of the shadow of death, we don't fear any evil because he's with us. In my experience with the Valley of the Shadow and my short history with heart pain and disappointment, I've learned that those are my truest and most vulnerable moments in life and they become also the most potentially powerful moments for worship and prayer. We have but a few decades to worship God when it's hard. Do you know that the angels are astounded when they see the suffering saints praising God? They're surrounded in glory. They don't have a hard time up there. They're seeing God, you know, going in and out, angels ascending, descending upon Christ and the party that's going on in the throne room and they, they look at the suffering saints and they hear the sound of praise coming from our lips. They smell the aroma from the ashes of a burned down life that's still worshiping God. And they are more amazed in that moment than in anything else. <clears throat> I've experienced God's closeness often uh, in those really hard and broken moments when pain is a uh, constant companion. Uh, so much so that um, when we get back to the mountaintop, when things are going great. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You remember those moments. You almost long to feel that rawness again. And I think that might've been some of the things that Paul was tapping into when he, he even said, I don't, I don't care if I live or die anymore. <laughs> you know, to, to die is game. take me home, Jesus. <laughs> and it's not that he, he hasn't uh, become some sadist, he, he is experiencing God in, in a way that he doesn't experience Him at any other time in life. And beloved, God never intended suffering for His children. Uh, right? He put us in a beautiful paradise garden. He didn't want us to experience suffering, sickness, death. That's why it's so hard for us to, com- to compute it. We were never programmed to compute death. Death. That's why like short circuits are circuitry. And so we have God, this loving father who gives us a provisional goodness of his closeness. It's almost like when things are extra hard in life, he knows it and he comes in close and it's this provisional blessing that happens when things are really, really hard. Yesterday, um, Saturday morning, we usually do pancake breakfast with the kids, and um, we cook them from scratch, make a bunch of bacon, there's Nutella, there's, there's syrup, we've got normal pancakes, blueberry pancakes, banana pancakes, chocolate chip pancakes, we've got, it's, come on, <laughs> don't give out my address, um, we've got... <laughs> There's already seven shucks. <laughs> That's a lot of pancakes. Our bacon bill, we got a budget for that thing. Um, but we, we, we team up the sweetness of the, the, the syrupy goodness of bacon with talking about Jesus with our kids. And we will we'll share a, a short you know, snippet of a parable or a Jesus story or a testimony from Ashley's life or my life, and then we talk about it. Uh, as a family, and we go around and before you guys think that 's just perfectly beautiful, it usually lasts about three minutes before you know the wheels fall off, and someone starts talking about poop or something like um, but then I mean of course we steer them back but 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 Jesus you know so yeah. <laughs> So so yesterday I I brought up um, the Hellwicks situation, Anna's situation with our kids. And they know that sweet Anna's been sick and they know Mr. August from all the time they've spent with him back in the elementary uh, church. And and I wanted to talk about the heart of the Father, the heart of God in that moment. And so I, I gave a little parable of my own. And I set it up like this, essentially. As, a like, guys, let's say um, Evelyn, she's my, my oldest daughter. She's my snuggle bug is her nickname. Uh, let's say Evelyn decides that she doesn't wanna be around me anymore. She's withholding her heart from me. She's distancing herself. She, she doesn't even feel love for me anymore and goes off her own way, and so what I do is I break her legs so that she can't get away. (laughs) Yeah, shocking, right? And I I look at Jane, my other daughter, is especially shocked because she didn't know that this was parabolic. She, She was like, what, Dad, you would never? I'm like, yes, of course I would never, that's the point. I would never break my daughter's legs in order to hold her close. And And Ashley hammered it home and said, "Ask them, "If Dad was like that, would he be a good dad?" And so we began to just really simply talk to our kids about our father's good heart towards us. There are, uh, like I said, you can go to scripture and find a lot of mystery, but there are also really good, um, there are clear moments in there where it says that he doesn't willingly afflict, he doesn't delight in anyone's death, he doesn't cast off anyone forever, that's Lamentations 3.30. Jane, uh, my other daughter one time, I know we're running out of time, but let me just tell you this this story and we'll close it up. Um, When she was just past toddler years, you know, four or five, something like that, she was playing in the kitchen uh, around the bottom of the fridge, and someone had opened the door, and her hand was still down there, and as it closed, the metal hinge split her finger wide open. I know. I'm telling you stories so that we remember this stuff forever, right? It's a deep cut. And she is beside herself. You know, have you, uh, parents, you've seen your kids discover pain for the first time? You know what I'm talking about? It's the worst thing to watch ever. They don't understand it. They've never felt anything so awful. It doesn't compute. And they're trying, my kids, a couple of them, whenever they felt pain for the first time or early on, they would try to wipe it off as if it was a substance on them. Any other parents can attest, like, it's awful to watch, and it was bad enough I knew she was going to need stitches, and so I took her um, to the hospital, and um, in the room, what we had to do is wrap her up in a blanket so that just her one hand was out, and I had to restrain her. And I'm face to face with my daughter while they are now putting a needle directly into the wound. And the look of panic and terror and confusion on my daughter's face because she is for the first time, these hands that have only comforted and held her and served her, these hands are worth holding her down in this moment where she is experiencing pain that she doesn't understand and I'm and she's screaming and and we're holding her hand still and I'm looking her in the eyes and I'm I'm saying to her honey I know it hurts but this is how we make it better I believe that In our most painful moments, there we have the Father face-to-face with us, holding us still at our lowest points and in our greatest pain, and He would rather receive our confused accusations, pinning the blame on Him, He's he'll receive those accusations that misunderstanding our doubt of his good heart so that he can be the one to hold us at our lowest moments so that we heal right and notice in John 16:33 that verse that we read earlier it says in this world you will have trouble it doesn't say in this world i'll give you trouble we have uh, this eternal hope that even if this earthly tent is destroyed, we have an eternal building from God. We have the hope of the resurrection of the dead. We know that even death is a doorway to greater glory, and the worst thing that the enemy can throw at us will escort us right into the loving arms of Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful hope that we walk in together? Hey, let's, um, let's close out with um, this one slide. Ashley uh, always encourages me to have some practicals for us. And um, I know that we're at the end of our time, but you can take a picture of this if you need. It's nothing too deep or profound. These are just things to, to do uh, while we are in suffering and grief. And one is to gather with the saints. Uh, Don't isolate. Uh, When the disciples were grieving together, they were together. They gathered together after Jesus's death. Or when one of them got put in prison or were martyred, they would gather together to mourn together and confide in the trusted people, the safe people in your life. Number two, we love counseling. (laughs) There There are wonderful counselors who are way better than 99.9% of pastors at um, helping you deal with the the troubles of your soul. And they are pastoral. They actually walk in the gift of pastoral. So find a great Christian, preferably counselor, who can help you walk through grief and, and get therapy. Um, Sharing your story with someone who's an expert on the inner workings of the heart is just incredibly valuable and there are universal stages of grief that all humans generally experience. So it's good to process through the denial, the shock, the bargaining, the depression, the anger, and the acceptance with someone else. Number three, uh, get honest with God. Uh, Don't miss one of the most powerful moments you could have with God by putting lipstick on a pig. Just get really raw with him and tell him it hurts and I don't understand and where are you? And don't pray prayers that you think he wants to hear. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Job, who I mentioned earlier, near the end of the book of Job, when God shows up, God says, Job, out of all of you guys, Job is the only one who answered rightly and that word rightly is honestly. Job is the only one who spoke honestly with me. It's really important to worship when you're in the roughest spots in your life. Uh, It's all over scripture. When we praise in the prisons, come on, those doors have a tendency to get broken off the hinges, don't they? Take time with your process. Take time to process. Don't rush it. Weeping is a gift from God. Washes the the witchcraft and the control out of our souls as we're weeping. Um, And then uh, the last one, uh, forgive, because uh, most suffering, grief, and pain, the really potent ones come from the ones that we love. You know, those moments, the hurt comes from people that um, have the ability to hurt us the most. And so forgive, and I felt like reading off this quick little thing here. Uh, Forgive the people who played a role in the pain. Forgive your parents your spouses, your exes. Forgive the backstabbers. Forgive the doctors who failed you and forgive yourself. Amen? Amen. All right, can we stand together? And I'd like the, the ministry team to come up. I'd just like to make... Uh, as many opportunities for people to receive ministry from the Holy Spirit as possible. And so we'll have the ministry team up here. If you want to uh, cry with someone, if you want prayer for some pain uh, in your life, you're welcome to come forward. But let's let's just go to God. Let's turn our attention to him again. Lord, we thank you for your closeness. We thank you that you are close to the brokenhearted. You save those who are crushed in spirit. And we thank you for your power to heal. We thank you for your, uh, your authority in our lives. We thank you that you are a, a really good dad. You're a good shepherd. You're a good leader. You're a good king. We entrust our hearts and our lives to you. And I pray for all my friends in this room who are dealing with heart sickness, brokenness, pain in any kind of way, God. I pray that in this moment and in increasing measure throughout this week, they would recognize your tangible closeness, pulling the poison out of that pain. In Jesus' name, amen.